Democrats endorse bankrupting churches, child abuse, and abortion rights for men at the CNN LGBT LMNOP town hall. We examine why Democrats are willing to risk 100% of their electability pandering to 4.5% of the population. Then President Trump gets blunt on impeachment at a rally in Louisiana. AOC cries, literally cries over global warming. And the left tries to erase Christopher Columbus 527 years after the great man discovers America. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, it is one of my favorite days, not National Coming Out Day, although we'll cover that too. It is Columbus Day. Oh, we will celebrate the great man as the left tries to erase him from history. But first, don't let history get erased. Don't let your wonderful memories get erased. Give or receive a truly meaningful gift at paintyourlife.com. What a segue. If you have some picture of yourself, some picture of your friend, your loved one, your dog, a favorite place, you can have an original painting made at a price you can afford from paintyourlife.com. This is a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist created from a favorite photo. This makes the absolute perfect gift for birthdays and anniversaries. You choose the artist whose work you most admire on the website and you work with them throughout the process until every detail is perfect and there's no risk at all. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. I was totally skeptical of this and so I obviously used it to get a a painting done for my stepbrother's wedding. I didn't want to try it on myself first. I tried it on him. I was so blown away with the quality of this painting that now I'm using them so many more times, especially as Christmas comes around. It's unbelievable. And you get to pick out the artist and it's just, uh, I was really stunned and blown away. I saw the, luckily because they work with you throughout the process, you get to see different proofs and you get to see how it's going. So I already thought it was pretty cool. Then I see it in person. It is astounding. You will get a piece of art that you will cherish forever, makes a really special gift for someone you love or for yourself. I cannot speak highly enough of these guys. It is an unbelievable service. Right now is a limited time offer. You get 30% off your painting. Do it right now. This is a great gift. Do it for yourself and do it for a loved one. 30% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 484848. That's K-N-O-W-L-E-S to 484848. K-N-O-W-L-E-S to 484848. Message and data rates may apply. All right, so many days to cover. Columbus Day, National Coming Out Day, LGBTQ Town Hall Day on CNN. The, they actually called it the Equality Town Hall. They didn't use the accurate description, which is it was a town hall about these different sexual identities and sexual preferences. They have to say equality, and the euphemism tells you a lot. But first, I did a little math. I did a little math because The left is always trying to bring out identity politics and different victim groups and pander to each of these groups. So I thought, okay, the left does this on the basis of race, on the basis of sex, and now on the basis of sexual and gender identity and sexual preference. So I did some math. Black people who constitute 12% of the population only get 8.3% of the calendar year. This is because there's February is Black History Month. Women constitute 50.8% of the population. Over half of the population is women. They also only get 8.3% of the calendar year. They get Women's History Month, which is in March. 
LGBTQ on and on and on people who constitute at most four and a half percent of the population, that's the current estimate, get 16.7% of the calendar because they get Pride Month, which is in June, and they get October, which is LGBTQ History Month, declared so by Barack Obama with National Coming Out Day and all these different sexual days. How does that work? How did the left decide that they were going to pander to black people for less of the calendar year than they constituted the population, that they were going to pander to women way less of the calendar year than they are by population or than they would deserve by population, and that they are going to pander to this relatively small and also very, very diverse sexual identity group for a hugely disproportionate amount of time. Well, not only was it a hugely disproportionate amount of time in the calendar year, it was a hugely disproportionate amount of time on the CNN town hall. I cannot believe that I watched this whole thing. I had very prominent people in the news media and in conservative politics messaging me, thanking me for watching the four and a half hour LGBTQ town hall on CNN so that they didn't have to. Just occurred to me that the number of hours of the town hall corresponds to the percent of the population that identifies as LGBT. So they called it the equality town hall. That is a euphemism. What is equality? I mean, equality, that could be any town hall. You could be talking about mathematics. You could be talking about political rights. You could be talking, I guess, about sexual identity, but that wouldn't be at the top of the list. The euphemism is the key. People use euphemisms when they are trying to conceal the truth. This is what political correctness is. This is what so much of the Trump era has been about revealing. And that's what we talk about on this show a lot. You use euphemisms to conceal the truth. Now, sometimes you do it out of politeness. So when you see an old woman, you don't call her an old woman. You call her a woman of a certain age. And that's, this is a sort of polite euphemism so that you don't sound like you're insulting somebody. Sometimes it's not about politeness. Sometimes the deception is much more nefarious. So you'll say undocumented Americans instead of illegal alien. Why do you say undocumented Americans? You don't say it to be polite to somebody because usually you're not using it in a personal context. You're using it in a public debate and you use that euphemism or the left wants you to use that euphemism so that they win the debate before the debate's already begun. Because if you have a debate over what should we do about illegal aliens, then it's pretty clear. Well, they're breaking the law. They're aliens, which means they're foreign nationals. So I guess we should probably take them out of our country and bring them back to the countries that they're citizens of. But if you start your debate not using that accurate and clinical term, but you use this euphemism, undocumented American. What should we do about undocumented Americans? Well, they're Americans after all. I guess, I guess they're, they're certainly going to stay here. We're not going to deport Americans. Well, are they Americans? They don't, they're not citizens. They don't, yeah, well, they're not citizens because they don't have any documents. It's not because they're actually not citizens of the country. They just don't have documents. They're undocumented. So that's a problem. We got to get them documents. They're undocumented Americans. The way to fix that is to get them documents. And so you subvert the debate before it's even begun. The debate over gay marriage, to use a more relevant example, the debate over gay marriage, what it really is, what is marriage? What is marriage? Define marriage for me. Describe marriage. Well, the left would say it's a loving bond between two people. I have a loving bond with members of my family. Am I married to my family? No. I have a loving bond with my best friend. Are he and I married? No. Well, 
It's a, even if you don't think so, it's a loving bond between two people. Okay, I I have a loving bond between three people. And actually, in in romantic love these days, there are a lot of Americans have a loving bond between multiple people at the same time. When you look at surveys of polyamory, you've got four to five percent of people identify as polyamorous. Why Why is marriage a loving bond only between two people? And okay, so then they'll go on and they'll try to whittle it down and explain. Finally, the traditional answer would be sexual difference men and women. Sexual difference is essential to marriage. It always has been. Sex, specifically sex open to the possibility of life, is essential to marriage. And then you could have that debate. That would be what that debate looks like. But that's not what the left did. What the left did is they began with the premise that marriage is a monogamous bond between two people of any sex. Why monogamous? Because they just arbitrarily said so. Why is that the definition? Because they began with that premise and then the debate became over marriage equality. Who has the right to get married? Well, if it's just about rights and equality, obviously we want everybody to be equal. Obviously we want everybody to have rights. They won the debate before it began because they didn't have the debate. They just started with their own conclusion as the premise. Even the, the group that pushed gay marriage or the, the redefinition of marriage, it's called the human rights campaign. When I think of human rights, I think of political liberty. I think of freedom from tyranny. I think of, of uh, security in your own body, in your own property. I mean, there's so m- Even if you go in a more liberal definition of human rights, what do you think? Water? Food? Redefining marriage in a way that has not been true for ever anywhere in the world. That probably is pretty low on the list of human rights. But by naming their organization the Human Rights Campaign, who's going to oppose human rights? Obviously nobody. So that's what you see here, the Equality Town Hall. What the Equality Town Hall blew up for us is this idea, this lie, that the whole premise of this movement to redefine marriage, to redefine sex, the whole premise was it's a personal matter. It doesn't affect you. What's it to you? How dare you? It's not affecting your life. And it's none of your business. Elizabeth Warren started out embracing this view in the debate when she was asked about same-sex marriage. She was asked in the debate, what do you say to people who still abide by the definition of marriage that has existed everywhere for all of human history instead of the new definition of marriage, which includes same-sex unions? Her answer is, if you don't want a same-sex marriage, don't get one. But then listen to the little barb that comes in at the end of it. Uh, let's say you're on the campaign trail and you're I approached. Have you have uh, been, yes. yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> and, a, and a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. <laughs> and I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Assuming you can find one. <laughs> Yeah, you tell them, Liz. Yeah, those idiots who believe the thing that every human has always believed everywhere. Those guys are idiots and they're unattractive and they're terrible and they could never find a spouse. And they're probably men and men are bad and women are good and straight people are bad, but gay people are good or something. I don't know. It's just so the whole town hall was just absolutely shocking pandering. But you see there, Liz Warren, being probably the most cautious candidate of any of them right now, is still playing in that realm of, look, live and let live. We find out, though, it's a lot more like that McCartney song. It's a lot more like live and let die. Beto O'Rourke brings this up. He comes right out with it. 
when he threatens to bankrupt churches, schools, and other institutions that don't buy into LGBTQ ideology. This is from your LGBTQ plan, and here's what you write. This is a quote. Freedom of religion is a fundamental right, but it should not be used to discriminate. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And so as president, we're going to make that a priority and we are going to stop those who are infringing upon the human rights of our fellow Americans. Hell yes, we're going to take away your churches. Beto, are you going to take away our AR-15s? Hell yes. Beto, are you going to take away our churches if the churches don't want to redefine marriage? Hell yes, we're going to take it away. Beto O'Rourke does this thing that the left must hate him for, which is the conservative and social conservative argument is always, we can't do this thing because if we do this thing, pretty soon we'll do that thing. It's the slippery slope argument. And what the left has always said is no way. What? Just because we do this thing doesn't mean we're going to do that thing. Just because we redefine marriage doesn't mean we're going to redefine what it means to be a man and a woman. And of course they do it anyway, but they at least pretend they're not going to. Beto is different. You tell Beto, if we do this thing, we can't do it because then pretty soon we'll be doing that thing. And he says, hell yes, we're going to do that thing. And I'm going to take away your churches and your guns too. So he, that's what he does. He begins in his definition by defining this very new, very narrow conception of marriage as a human right. But he doesn't explain why. Polygamy is illegal in the United States. Some people are polyamorous. The same number of people are polyamorous as the number of people who identify as LGBTQ. So are we denying people their human rights in this country by not allowing polygamous marriage? That's the argument. It's the exact same argument. And what I suspect is the vast majority of people, even those who support the redefinition of marriage, would say, no, it's fine to exclude polygamy from the definition of marriage. You're talking about the same exact percentage of people. You're talking about the same sort of radicalism in redefining marriage. In, in fact, in some ways, less radicalism, because at least in polygamy, you can still have sexual difference. Why is one a necessary, important human right where if you oppose it, you're a bigot and the other one is just totally crazy? Try to answer that question. If you can't answer that question, maybe there's been a flaw in your logic earlier on. Booker went even further. He said non-tax exempt organizations would face consequences too, not just churches and religious schools, but even non-tax exempt organizations that don't totally celebrate redefining marriage or any other aspect of LGBTQ ideology. Would, would face consequences. Then you get into the craziest pandering of all, which is the first two guys to go up on this stage actually just started flirting with men in the audience because they're such slimy politicians that they thought, well, I'm at the gay town hall. I guess I should probably flirt with some men. Yeah, that'll win all for all the gay votes. So Booker comes up there and he starts talking about what a beautiful man there, uh, there is in the audience because he and Booker are both bald. That is one of the most handsome haircuts. <laughs> I was. Uh, I, were, you, were you about to say the same thing? I was. I was going to say Thank nice you very haircut. Much. <laughs> All right. You are a beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Many people have no idea that. Make for our it. president bald again. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm here for it. All right. <laughs>
Not only is Booker bad at flirting, he's obviously very awkward. He also doesn't know when to end a joke. So you like just a little advice for Cory Booker. When you, you tell a joke and you get a laugh, you move on. Some people, they tell a joke, they get a laugh and they want to just wring it dry, trying to make a meal out of a cupcake. Come on, Senator. Then Joe Biden decides at one point he's nearly going to kiss Anderson Cooper while he describes how Barack Obama kissed him. I went in on Monday and all the national press saying Biden's going to really get nailed when he walks in and sees the president every morning. He got up and he walked over to me and said, well, you told me. He gave me a kiss. <laughs> you know, he leaned over. I swear to God. Okay, fortunately, we didn't hear a story about Barack Obama nailing Joe Biden, but we did hear about Barack Obama kissing Joe Biden. Biden then almost kisses Anderson Cooper. This was after he flirted with an audience member, said that the guy looked like he was walking out of GQ. And he said (laughs) during the debate, he said, uh, when I came out, and then he he waited a moment and then people applauded. So he nearly came out of the closet on the uh, debate. The pandering then reached a tipping point when Cory Booker decided to blame a very infamous Islamic terrorist attack on right-wing conservatives. On June 12, 2016, I was present as a man with an assault weapon murdered 49 mostly LGBTQ people of color at Pulse nightclub. I was very lucky to make it out. Unfortunately, my friends were not. That night, we were reminded that LGBTQ people, specifically those of color, are often, too often, the targets of hate violence. With the rise of violence against trans women of color, how will you ensure that law enforcement is equipped to treat marginalized victims of crime with dignity and respect? So first of all, very clearly, uh, it is a national emergency. The majority of the terrorist attacks in this country since 9-11 have been right-wing extremist groups. The majority of them have been uh, white supremacists and hate groups. Yeah, that's the point. We're talking about an Islamic terrorist attack at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando, where during the shooting, the Islamist shooter pledged allegiance to ISIS. So that's why it's so urgent. It's a national emergency. We need to condemn white supremacists and right-wingers because an Islamist shot up a gay nightclub. His point, obviously what a stupid response, but his point that he's trying to make is that white supremacist terror is a far greater problem in America than Islamic terror. And this claim, we hear this claim a lot by the left. It is not backed up by the facts at all. So to make this point, what the left always does is they begin with, since 9-11, dot, 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 all of these terrorist attacks, seems like they're sort of uh, cheating a little bit there when you say, since the largest terrorist attack in American history, which was carried out by a whole group of Islamic uh, terrorists and directed by Osama bin Laden, taking that aside, other than Pearl Harbor, what have the Japanese ever done to us? Uh, Okay. I mean, that's kind of a big one. You're kind of leaving out the big one. Let's say though, let's just for the sake of a thought experiment, let's use their own numbers. Let's use their own premises. So we're going to take 9-11 off the table, even using their own numbers. The numbers don't tell the story that the left think they do. There's a 2017 study by the investigation fund, which found that white supremacist attacks in America outnumber Islamist attacks and foiled attacks by a ratio of two to one. Okay, so that's a lot. 
twice as many attacks and plots by white supremacists as by Islamists. But there are way, way, way more white people in America than Muslims. So 60.7% of America is white. 1.1% of America is Muslim. White people outnumber Muslims in America by a ratio of 55 to 1. So if white supremacist plots outnumber Islamist plots by a, by a ratio of 2 to 1, that still shows a hugely, shockingly disproportionate number of Islamist plots. So if you're trying to identify a problem with hugely disproportionate numbers, that would be the problem to identify. But Booker and the left, they have no interest in identifying the problem. They have certainly no interest in solving the problem. All they have to do is twist every single argument, every single question to attack conservatives or right-wingers or, I mean, they, they view white and conservative to be synonymous. Obviously, that is not the case, but that's how they view it. So to attack everybody at the top of the intersectional pyramid, white, straight, people who are the same sex that they think that they are, male rather than female. A ridiculous point, but a good opportunity. Booker gives us a good opportunity to debunk a major talking point of the left. Then we get to really the most disturbing issue of the whole town hall, which is the first question of the town hall begins with Cory Booker. And a woman comes up and says, I'm the mother of a nine-year-old transgender child. So from the very beginning, this is just a woman asking this question, but from the very beginning, the CNN town hall is normalizing child abuse. If a mother is foisting gender ideology on her child, a child who's in the single digit age range, that mother is committing child abuse. That is some horrific stuff. If you tell your little boy that he's really a little girl because he picked up a Barbie one time and you confuse him sexually in a, a truly damaging, life-enduring sort of way, you are committing child abuse. That's how the thing begins. I think, okay, we're really through the looking glass now. This woman might have introduced herself as a sufferer of Munchausen by proxy, as someone who, who seeks attention by pretending to care the people that she cares about are ill. I thought this would be the most depraved aspect of the night. Uh, my expectations were too low because it got so much worse. A woman then brought her daughter on stage and presented her daughter as a nine-year-old transgender American. I don't even, I'm not going to play the clip. I had the, I pulled the clip and I could play the clip, but I don't want to participate in the abuse of this child. So I'm not going to play it. The little girl comes on stage and she's dressed in a suit and she says, I'm a nine-year-old transgender American and my name is Joseph or Jacob or something like that. Roaring applause from the, the audience. I'm sure the moderators and the people backstage were doing it too. The CNN producers and everyone else who exploited this child are monsters. And this sort of child abuse should be criminal and the perpetrators should face the stiffest possible consequences. That's during the debate, during a major presidential town hall on CNN, the big leftist cable network. What this means to me is the arguments against Trump are pretty weak. I get the arguments against Trump. We're going to get into one of the arguments against Trump in a second. I, I understand them all. Look, I worked for a, a competitor of his in the 2016 primary. I did TV commercials for Ted Cruz. Okay. It's not like I was immediately from the very beginning, this big Trump guy. In the face of this LGBTQ town hall, there is no argument. There is no argument. What? Because Trump t mean tweets? Because he did something in Syria that you don't like for a war that we're, we don't even know what we're doing there? 
because he lowered taxes and picked a judge that you don't like? What is the argument? You've got people on stage with a Democrat media leftist apparatus abusing a child on national television. You've got the major presidential candidates saying they're going to defund churches, bankrupt churches, if not outlaw them altogether. You've got presidential candidates saying, even if you're not tax exempt, you're going to face consequences if you don't radically redefine marriage. All of these people on stage, and and you're going to pick one of them, or you're going to not vote at all and let one of them win because Trump did what? He had a phone call with Ukraine. Give me a break, people. I didn't even get to the most ridiculous part of the whole debate. The most ridiculous part is that the Julian Castro, who's not going to be in the race for much longer, but he's still in it now. Julian Castro had said at an earlier debate that he supports abortion, not just for women, but for trans women. He said this because he didn't know what trans women means. Trans women means men who dress up like women. They have male biology. They cannot have a baby. They certainly can't have an abortion. So I joked on Twitter, said, I wonder if uh, Julian Castro is going to double down on his support of abortion for men. Because we're through the looking glass, his national political director responds to my joke and says, quote, of course, to anyone who needs an abortion, however, they identify hashtag equality town hall. That woman is Natalie Montalongo. In the face of this, we see the moral error of opposition, of conservative opposition to Trump. Trump has many faults. The alternative is shutting down churches, killing babies, and pumping kids who survive abortion full of hormones and puberty blockers. I don't see very much argument for voting against Trump anymore. Doesn't mean I don't want to criticize Trump. I'm about to criticize Trump right now. And there's a particular reason that I need to criticize Trump because he really irritated me at the Louisiana town hall. Politics is about context. Politics is about gradations and and priorities. In the face of that sort of insane radicalism on the left, I don't see a whole lot of argument for abstaining. The stakes are just too high. We will get to my criticism now of President Trump. Uh, We will get to AOC crying over global warming, and we will get to the man, Christopher Columbus, one of the greatest men who ever lived, We'll get to all them in a second. First, another Kingdom fans. Season three, episode three, is dropping today. Check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. A new episode will drop every Monday for the duration of the show. Subscribers get early access to those episodes on Friday, so do not wait. Subscribe now. Also, subscribers exclusively can catch up on past seasons now at dailywire.com. So get ready for the final season of Another Kingdom today. When you subscribe to The Daily Wire, 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clayman Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get Another Kingdom, you get the Matt Walsh Show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get everything and you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You are going to need that Leftist Tears Tumblr because the left shot a lot of their credibility away with some of their crazy answers at the LGBTQ town hall. Make sure you get the Tumblr or you will drown. Dailywire.com, we'll be right back with a lot more. During the insane town hall on CNN, President Trump was holding a rally in Louisiana. And the rally was pretty good. He got his base all fired up. It was very entertaining as always. He did something 
that irritates me so much. And I will admit, I know it seems like a disproportionate reaction to a minor slight. President Trump, he went blue. He went blue. He used vulgar language in public. Here is President Trump describing the prospect of impeachment. The radical Democrats' policies are crazy, their politicians are corrupt, their candidates are terrible, and they know they can't win on election day, so they're pursuing an illegal, invalid, and unconstitutional bullshit impeachment. There it is. I hate it. I hate it when President Trump uses foul language in public. What he said was absolutely true. Every word of it he said was true. What his use of the word BS absolutely justified. If I were sitting around a bar, I'd use exactly the same word and it would be just as accurate then as when President Trump is speaking publicly. The president should not use foul language in public. It is degrading. I know, Mike, toughen up, Michael. It's a, come on, it's a minor point. No, politics is speech. Politics is speech. We've known this since the ancients, since the ancient Greeks. The thing that separates politics from just me and you clubbing at each other over the head is that we have our capacity of speech, which uses symbols to express what we're doing in our faculties of reason to persuade one another of how we should live and how we should govern ourselves. When you use foul and stupid language, you degrade yourself. You degrade what is the representation of your humanity. Now, we all do it sometimes. We do it for comedic effect. We do it for emphasis. Some people use swear words like commas. That's probably not the best thing to do. We do it. I do it too. I try not to swear as much because it, it doesn't make you sound very clear. It doesn't make you sound very in control of yourself. And I really try not to do it in public because it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to people who don't want to hear that kind of thing. It's disrespectful to the office of the president, which should be higher up. It should embody the ethos and the spirit of the country. And there's always been a little bit of vulgarity to the spirit of America. So I totally understand it. I, I hate it. I just don't like it. And President Trump should try to minimize it. He can make his point just as forcefully without doing it. And it wouldn't, he, he has no reason to degrade himself. Trump has more integrity in his little finger than the left has in their entire apparatus. The left kills babies is foisting gender ideology on three-year-olds and wants to bankrupt your church. They have no credibility and no integrity whatsoever. And Trump has actually kept more of his campaign promises than any president in my lifetime. He actually does have integrity. When he does stuff like that, though, and goes blue in public, he really cuts against that argument. That's my minor criticism of President Trump for the day. Much crazier in the world of rhetoric was AOC, who was giving a speech about global warming and decided to get misty-eyed, to start crying because she's convinced the world is about to end and she now feels that she can't be a mother. I speak to you not as an elected official or public figure, but I speak to you as a human being, a woman whose dreams of motherhood now taste bittersweet because of what I know about our children's future and that our actions are responsible for bringing their most dire possibilities into focus. I speak to you as a daughter and descendant of colonized peoples who have already begun to suffer. What is she suffering? Last I checked, she's getting $300 haircuts 
and living in a posh apartment in Washington, D.C. and going on television all the time. What is she suffering? She said, I am suffering. I am a member of in, an indigenous people's group that, and we are suffering. What, what are you suffering? What are, what are other people suffering? There is no evidence that the world is going to end in 12 years. There's n- none. Not one little bit. Not, that's not scientific. It's not even, I don't know, even to call it a religious view is, is uh, not really supported by the evidence because most religious views have some logic to them. Some have a lot of logic to them. This has no logic, none whatsoever. The worst predictions, the worst global warming predictions are that the earth will warm about two degrees over a century. There is no evidence that this will pose any problem for humans. Certainly will not pose any problems for Americans. Why is AOC worried about having children? Look, if AOC doesn't have children, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth exactly, but in the spirit of humanity, because I am human and nothing human is alien to me, I would like AOC to feel like she is free to have children. She's, why, why doesn't she want to have children now? Because she says, we know that they will face the direst of consequences. What's the direst of consequences? I guess death would be the direst of consequences. AOC thinks that because we drive automobiles, that in the next generation, all the children are going to die. And that's the direst of consequences. And therefore she's crying on stage. Right now, today, we kill 1 million babies a year in this country before they're born. 1 million babies every single year. We know that they face the direst of consequences. We know because it's happening right now. We don't know that in 10 years, all the children are going to die. Actually, we know that they're not going to because there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Short of a comet, a meteor hitting the earth, that's not going to happen. In 100 years, based on all of the available evidence, all the children aren't going to die. Right now, today, one million of them a year are dying. AOC doesn't shed a tear for that. AOC campaigns for it. This is either the product of a profound ignorance or insanity. And I'm actually going to give AOC the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that it's ignorance. Because when I was a teenager, I was pro-abortion. I didn't, I didn't understand the argument for pro-life. I didn't get it. I just thought, well, they're not babies. And I just didn't think more about that because that's what I was told by the media and by educational institutions and by politicians and by everyone around me in New York. But then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it is a baby. Shouldn't kill babies. I'm going to give AOC the benefit of the doubt. I know, I know a lot of pro-lifers have come up to me and said, Michael, I just don't understand how anyone could support abortion. I totally do. Abby Johnson, one of the greatest pro-life advocates, worked at a Planned Parenthood because she obviously didn't see the problem with abortion. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was one of the founders of the pro-abortion movement. He was the founder of NARAL, the big abortion rights league. Now he's one of the biggest pro-life advocates. Jane Roe, Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade is, is the reason why there's a so-called national right to abortion in America. She then became one of the biggest pro-life advocates in the country. Obviously people can be fooled by the illogic of abortion and then come around and see reality. So I'm going to, 
I'm going to assume that AOC is just ignorant. Ignorant on the climate, ignorant on life, ignorant on a whole lot of things. I mean, she said in one of her first interviews that she's not the expert, remember, on, on uh, the Hoover Institution show, Uncommon Knowledge. Not Uncommon Knowledge. She was on the firing line with Margaret Hoover. That is a profound ignorance. It requires humility to fix that ignorance. Unfortunately, the left doesn't have that humility. And I think the way that we conservatives can reach them is by asking questions. Not by, if, you, if you just go straight out and attack them all the time, if you're constantly just beating that drum, you're probably not going to change their minds. You might change other people's minds in the audience, but you're not going to change their minds because you're, you are playing into their pride. You're giving their pride a reason to assert itself. If you ask with some humility these simple questions, like, well, what's your evidence that the world's going to end in 12 years? What's your evidence that all the children are going to die? If you're worried that all the children are dying, what about abortion? Just simple questions. I think there's an easier way to reach them. And there's a lot of ignorance going around, especially on the subject of one of my favorite holidays of the year. I'm speaking, of course, about today, Columbus Day, and the person, one of the greatest men to ever live, of Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus, much maligned now in our, in our phones. When you, when you turn on your phone, you will see in different calendar apps that it is Indigenous Peoples Day throughout the United States. Various cities have tried to redefine Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day. Christopher Columbus is being maligned without any basis in reality as a mass murderer, as a genocidal maniac, as a bad navigator. As, this, is, this is people who can't get to the grocery store unless they plug in their iPhone and get, type in Google Maps. And they're maligning the discoverer of the Americas because he went off course a little bit and still discovered America and went back several times. Anyway, talk about humility and talk about pride. Columbus is being wiped out of our history books for absolutely no reason. It reminds me, as always, of Tony Soprano's great moral clarity on the subject of Christopher Columbus. We're having a discussion about Christopher Columbus. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them. Subjugate? And make them do whatever we want. That doesn't sound like a slave trader to you? George Washington had slaves, the father of our country. Well, what's your point? His history teacher, Mr. Cushman, is teaching your son that if Columbus was alive today, he would go on trial for crimes against humanity like Milosevic and, you know, Europe. Your teacher said that. It's not just my teacher, it's the truth. It's in my history book. So you finally read a book and it's bullshit. Tony. Look, you had to walk in Columbus's shoes to see what he went through. People thought the world was flat for crying out loud. Then he lands on an island with a bunch of naked savages on it. I mean, that took a lot of guts. You remember when we went to Florida, the heat and those bugs? Well, like it took guts to murder people and put them in chains. He was a victim of his time. Uh, who cares? It's what he did. He discovered America is what he did. He was a brave Italian explorer. And in this house, Christopher Columbus is a hero. End of story. You tell him, Tony. So why do we celebrate Christopher Columbus? because none of us would be here without Christopher Columbus. We ha how many places in America are named Columbus or Columbia? Columbus, Ohio, Columbia. There's a country called Columbia. There's a district of Columbia. There's all manner of things in America named after Columbus, as they should be. We celebrate Columbus Day. Specifically, this began in 1891, 1892. 
because in 1891, we had the largest mass lynching in American history. That was of 11 Sicilian men. And so as a way to sort of apologize to the Italian Americans in the country, they decided to celebrate this great Italian explorer who discovered the Americas. And that was why we had uh, in 1892 Columbus Day, 400 years after Columbus's voyage. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. What did Columbus do? Like, what are the arguments against him? They say he's a genocidal maniac. He never committed genocide whatsoever. That's just based on nothing. Uh, they say he's a mass murderer. He wasn't a mass murderer. John Fugelsang, who I kind of like, he's that left-wing radio guy. He tweeted out, he said, Columbus was one of the worst mass murderers ever. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. How many people do you think Columbus murdered? When people ask you this, or when people tell you that Columbus was a mass murderer, ask them, give me a number. How many people did Columbus murder? 50,000, 60,000, 50, 60, 100, 2, 5, 10. They don't know. They don't have an answer for that. You might ask them this. Did Columbus murder more or fewer people than the 80,000 people that the Aztecs slaughtered in the course of four days at the consecration of the Temple of Tenochtitlan five years before Christopher Columbus sailed to America? It's not like the Aztecs killed them 3,000 years earlier. Five years, 1487, the Aztecs slew 80 to 84,000 people in the course of four days at the consecration of the Temple of Tenochtitlan. Well, Michael, that's different. How's it different? You're saying that we can't celebrate Christopher Columbus because he, I don't know, I guess he was governor of the Indies, so he was involved in the deaths of some people. But you want to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. The Aztecs are pretty good representatives of Indigenous Peoples, right? They are Indigenous Peoples. They slew 80,000 people in the course of four days. So if you're going to get rid of Columbus Day, I guess you got to get rid of Indigenous Peoples Day. But Michael, it's not fair to judge people by their very worst qualities. Everybody's flawed and has bad qualities. Oh, hmm, good point. All right, then let's go back to Columbus Day. Because Christopher Columbus is one of the greatest, most virtuous men who's ever lived. The guy was a man of low birth. He more or less taught himself everything. He uh, was Italian. He learned to read Latin. He learned to speak and write Spanish. He was one of the great travelers. He went to Iceland. He went to Africa. He went all over the place as a navigator. He then, he was so consumed with Christianity. He was so devoted a Christian that he went, he, at the time when many people did not read the Bible, he read the Bible with monks. He was in the Azores. He was convinced that he had to go and discover this, this uh, trade route to the Indies. He went, he asked a ton of different crowns to fund it. He went to Portugal. When that didn't work, he set up a, an incredible pitch in Spain. He goes to Spain. They still wouldn't give it to him. He walks out of the court and one of Isabella's messengers came and ran and got him turned him around and said he was the, the man for the job. And it was through his own tenacity and determination. He then sets sail and against all odds makes it to this new world, obviously not to the East Indies, but to the West Indies. He makes it there. He's the, the first man in this Western experience of encountering native and primitive peoples. And Obviously, the, the first time that Europe is going to engage in colonialism is going to have some uh, victims. There's no question. Nobody is denying that. And yet what they accuse him of is being especially cruel toward the Spanish. The historical record says exactly the opposite. Even Bartolome de las Casas, one of the greatest defenders in history of the native people, said that Christopher Columbus 
was personally quite merciful toward the natives. When the Spaniards that Columbus traveled with wanted to hack up all of the natives for minor offenses, Christopher Columbus weighed in on their behalf, weighed in in their defense. Christopher Columbus, when a, a, a friend of his, a native friend died, he adopted his own son, raised him as his own son. The, the main argument against Columbus is based on one document, and it was a document written to the crown in Spain by a man named Francisco de Bobadilla, who was Columbus's chief political rival in the West Indies and usurped power in the West Indies from him. This would be like saying that if all we knew about Donald Trump, if the only negative stuff we knew against Trump came from Hillary Clinton, and we said, well, because Hillary Clinton said that Trump is a bad guy, therefore it is completely clear that Trump is a bad guy. That's, or vice versa, by the way. If the only thing we knew negatively about Hillary Clinton is what Donald Trump said, you couldn't rely on that either because they were political rivals. He was, it was brought back even in chains to the crown. Why did the crown believe Bobadilla? In part, because then the crown didn't have to pay Columbus what it owed him. And Columbus still persevered. Columbus still continued. He went back and forth to the West Indies. Even more important than that, and this man, I mean, not, not enough could possibly be said about this man's virtues and great, great qualities. But even more than that is the humility that we need. Without Christopher Columbus, none of us would be here. If you think that it's unjust that we are here right now, you should leave. Go back. Go. You don't have to be here. We have airplanes and very cheap travel. If you think that it's awful that people inhabit the Americas who are not the direct descendants of Aztecs or somebody, fine. Go away. Uh, something tells me you don't believe that. If you think that it's not a, a major net positive for the world that America exists, I guess that's fine. That's your prerogative. You're wrong, but just go and leave. Christopher Columbus, beyond his great characteristics, is one of the central figures in history. Without Christopher Columbus, there would be no such thing as Latinos. What is the, what is the Latino race? Is the encounter of Native Americans with Spaniards from Europe creates Latinos. Even taking out the question of is Columbus a good guy or a bad guy, and the evidence is overwhelmingly that he's a great guy, even taking that aside, he's one of the central figures in history. Our history would be unrecognizable without him. We are here today because of men like Christopher Columbus and Columbus himself. We have no right to look down and spit on that man. Our life is made possible because of what that guy did. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. And some people, these historical revisionists, think that we're flying. What have those revisionists ever done? What have the people who cast aspersions on Columbus ever accomplished? They have not accomplished one one zillionth of what that man did. They have not done one one zillionth of the good for the world that that man did. That is a question of pride. That is a question of ignorance. And hopefully in our culture, we can rectify both. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. Happy Columbus Day. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.